Welcome to Rants and Reason. I am Chuck. I am Karen. I am a liberal. And I am a conservative. But as Abraham Lincoln reminds us, we are not enemies. We are friends. We are. And we haven't put out a meme Monday in a bit. So we're going to try to get a couple shout out here, Karen. Yes, we are. We're going to try to get one out today and one out tomorrow, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. If I can keep you from well, taking naps between them. <laughs> I do like naps. Okay, well, today's meme is a picture of Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. It makes four claims about him. Number one, he wants to overturn Roe v. Wade. Number two, he wants to eliminate marriage equality. Number three, he believes that the president should be immune from criminal charges. And number four, he worked on Bush's legal team during the 2000 Florida recount. Yeah, this meme made him out to be a very, very evil man and disastrous for the country. Right. So let's start to unpack some of these things. The first claim is that he wants to overturn Roe v. Wade. Now, the Supreme Court has always been a political body as much as a legal one. I mean, that's okay. It's been seen as a political body. It's not actually supposed to be a political body. I mean, that's why the Constitution only talks about it in a very, very short excerpt basically i mean the supreme court is not supposed to legislate at all and people tend to think that that's what it's there for it's not what it's there for so it gets seen as a political body but it isn't necessarily one it is uh, it is in fact a political body because nobody walks into the supreme court out of a vacuum they have their political beliefs going in but it shouldn't be that's it shouldn't be I mean, that's why I said it should be seen as one, not that it necessarily is one. Right. Because the goal is to check your ideology at the door. Yeah. But that doesn't often happen. And with your favorite, Scalia, it absolutely did not happen. Um, but anyway, this would you agree with me and Ginsburg? I think you could say the same thing. No, I definitely think there's been a lot of damaging political ideology in the last... The last couple of courts. Yeah. Yes. So that's why people see it as much more political than it should be. Isn't that what I said, Chuck? Yeah, but you don't always say things clearly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I was just repeating what you said in... in uh, Your terms. In my terms, in, in common folk terms, so people oh, can okay. understand us. Hmm. Now... Kavanaugh's views, let's get back to Roe v. Wade. His views have to be inferred from one statement that he made during a speech that analyzed Justice Rehnquist's dissent on Roe, as well as a recent decision regarding an undocumented immigrant seeking an abortion and the nuance of that decision that left both sides of the abortion debate very unhappy. Right. So there was really no clear position. Right. I mean, he he agreed with the dissent, but what he actually did was, you know, he agreed with the legal analysis of the dissent of Roe, not necessarily the concepts thereof. Well, and on the uh, on the undocumented, there was a person in the detention camp and he basically his decision was that they could not demand they could not claim a right to abortion on demand immediately. 
and, it, and it's a very you'd have to read the whole case but really read the details of it before you make a decision right. on that right not someone else's commentary on it right. the actual right so the real question that remains about his views of roe is whether he sees it as such a shaky legal decision that it overcomes the doctrine of stare decisis not starey Scary decisis. Like scary isis. <laughs> now this, Karen, is a term meaning deference to Supreme Court precedent. Oh, thank you for informing me of that. Well, I know. <laughs> I like to help you with my legal mind. Ruling against precedent is not unheard of. And many scholars, and even liberal ones, surprisingly, including Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, that's your girl. Oh, yeah. I've got a picture of ruth in my office here at the house um, yeah yeah is she wearing a bikini <laughs> she is it's like that farrah fawcett poster <laughs> only <it's Ruth. laughs> um now she even feels that roe v wade was decided on faulty logic now this would make it much easier to ignore stare decisis and scary <laughs> And give power to the states regarding abortion, which is something we talked about last night. I don't agree with giving power to the states on issues like that. Well, that had a lot to do with Rehnquist's dissent. Right. So, I mean, you fundamentally disagree with what he agreed with, but that doesn't mean that he wants to overturn Roe based on what it's about. It. it so, I mean, he may, but there's no evidence through anything that he has said that that's the case. Right. Well, the second claim is that he wants to eliminate marriage equality. Justice Anthony Kennedy, whose retirement created the opening for Kavanaugh, was moderately conservative, with a few exceptions, none bigger than LGBT rights. Kennedy was not only the decider in some 5-4 rulings, tipping the scales towards the affirmative decision, but he was the author of every major gay rights decision in American history. As New Yorker legal analyst Jeffrey Tubin noted upon Kennedy's resignation, his legacy is anything but set in stone. The Constitution grants only those rights the Supreme Court says it grants, which means the new majority can and will bestow those rights. The judge Trump tapped to replace Kennedy could have been very controversial on this matter. Most of the candidates on the shortlist were. But his pick, Brett Kavanaugh, has a very thin record on the subject, no consequential decisions in his time on the D.C. Court of Appeals, and no blurting anti-gay sentiments in public. And he's been around for a really long time. Yeah, he has. Given a lot of speeches, a lot of things, even a lot of faith-based things. He's, and he's, he's also a little... Any sentiments. I'm sorry, to, I didn't mean to talk over you. He's also very yeah, strange okay. as far as people who kind of have a track to be or on track to be a Supreme Court justice. Mm -hmm. He's very strange that he's he's fairly open on his views and his thoughts. Right. So you would think that I mean, that wasn't like just his track. He's been around in Washington for so long and that you would think there would be something that could be dug up because I'm sure that everybody is looking with LBGT so. rights. There's to me now he is a champion of religious freedom. Right. So that's one of the things, which is why a lot of faith based about. organizations and political think tanks support him. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're anti LGBT rights. Well, 
in fairness, from my perspective, mm-hmm. the religious freedom laws have always been aimed at the LBGT community. That's that's how I see it. I understand that, but we've had conversations about that where you actually end up saying that it has a lot more to do with a business owner's right to decide that you just wouldn't, you know, you want to know where the evil is so that you don't frequent them, those places. Yeah, no, I think they, I think they, you know, it's it's a long and convoluted thing. I think if you want to say, I don't want to serve gay people, I don't like gay people, Mm -hmm. fine. You know, don't do it. I don't really care. Somebody will do it. And so you don't think they should be forced to then? Here's what I think. I think that anybody that is having a business on a public road that I paid for mm-hmm. doesn't get to throw the religious freedom at me. I See, I think it's the religious freedom part that's I I believe in private ownership right so if you run a business you have the consequences of social media being against you and the flood of people against you you don't get to have police protection and things like that when you make claims or make statements that are um, hate-filled however saying I'm not comfortable with something isn't necessarily hate-filled it may be I mean there's a difference in hate-filled rhetoric and just being uncomfortable with something. Now, that may have a root cause that is not good or whatever. I'm not denying that. But I'm just saying there's more argument here that meets the eye. It's very easy for people to have a very emotional reaction. But there is more legal. There are more legal issues surrounding these cases than just a generalized I am for it or I am against it. And therefore, I hate everyone who is gay. I mean, there's just more to it than that. It's not necessarily in in the cake thing. I could really care less. But where I really get what I what will really get me going is to have a pharmacist refuse to fill a prescription. Right. I agree. with It's like then go find another job. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be okay. You want your religious freedom. Nobody's trying to take away your religious freedom. Go find another job then. Right. Right. You know, that's where it gets me. If you want to own a business and you want to and if you want to own a pharmacy and say that we don't carry those drugs, okay, that's fine. But if you work for Kroger and you don't want to fill it and you want to you want an exemption on something. I agree with you. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where it starts to. A term I hate, but I'll use here is where you get on that slippery slope. Of you know, it starts with cakes for gay people and it ends with birth control pills or, you know, hey, my religion says you should eat better. So I'm not giving you your insulin. Well, right. And there's also the danger with religious freedom laws. You're also saying that a religion you don't agree with can force you. You know, they can refuse to serve you because of what you believe. Like if you're wearing a cross around your neck and you go into a restaurant and they don't want to serve you because you have a cross around your neck. I mean, that's what a religious freedom law would would have. So, I mean, it assumes evangelical belief systems, but really the laws themselves would encompass any faith. And when you do that, you're opening the door for a lot of things that 
Christians wouldn't like. So I think that there, there's just so much nuance and there's just so much more to it that to speak in generalized terms regarding it is, um, is irresponsible. Well, and you know what really gets me, and, I, and this might sound like a low blower, a cheap shot, but mm-hmm. the right loves to use the term snowflake. And you just think, you know what, just make the cake snowflake and go on, you know, or don't make that. I don't care if you make the damn cake. But again, fill the prescription or resign. Because now you're talking about people's health. And that just happened the other day when someone refused to fill a prescription. So that's where it really bothers me. Right. Uh, okay, what started this whole thing was we were talking about Kavanaugh and we were talking about the fact that he's never really said anything against LGBT rights. Um, and one of the the links, and I think it's a pretty tenuous link that I've, well, when I was looking for evidence and I was really, really looking as though I was trying to prove that he was definitely against lgbt rights right like i I tried to um go off the opposite premise of what i was suspected and i mean there were tons and tons and tons of articles that were very very fear-mongering but they all talked about what could happen there was just no there there Mm -hmm. and the only actual factual link is um, that the family research council approved of kavanaugh when he was put on the short list there aren't really details that surround that. So my guess is that the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society compiled the list. And it's most likely that the Family Research Council just naturally approved those on it because they usually would go with Heritage. Legal analysts don't know if there's any real indicators at all that Kavanaugh would be a certain vote to overturn same-sex marriage. Again, stare decisis will play an important role because the law has already been decided on this issue in Obergefell, and Kavanaugh signaled very strongly in his nomination speech when he accepted the nomination that following precedent was his objective. I mean, I think he stated very clearly several times that he believed in holding to precedent and i think that those that was coded language i was listening for coded language going the other direction and i actually felt that there was a lot of coded language saying i'm not going to upset the apple cart here i i tend to think that justices not all of them but i think that Mm -hmm. a lot of times justices tend to moderate once they get put on the supreme court right Uh, and i think that you're often very, very wrong. If you go back to Roberts, do you remember how disastrous he was going to be for everybody's rights, right. everybody's civil mm-hmm. rights? Mm-hmm. So he's shown no indication that he's going to that he's been like that. Right. And I was reading a really interesting opinion piece on CNN about this that said that that it would it, that would just be a losing battle because public opinion has shifted in so much support of gay rights that it would just be ridiculous for someone to try to upset that because i mean at this point it would cause all kinds of legal turmoil with in real estate with divorce proceed you know with um public trusts and wills and i mean it would just well, with the irs with right with tax law and with i mean people it's, who it, have adopted children it would just take it it would create so much 
of a problem and there wouldn't be enough of a public outcry for it that there would be no benefit for it, you know, right. for from a pragmatic perspective or objective perspective. And there are no idealists on the Supreme Court that are so pure in their ideology that they would do that. No, and the Supreme Court often looks at what it's going to do to society rather than what the law is. So that's not something right. that they're they're above. Um, right. I believe that I believe that Roberts did that in the Obama decision. I mean, if you look mm -hmm. at that decision, it was so legally twisted and contorted to get from mm -hmm. here to there. Mm -hmm. made almost no sense, but I think that he just didn't want the Supreme Court to overturn um, Obamacare. Right. And so he you know, reached the conclusion that he did. So let's get to point number three, that he believes the president should be immune from criminal charges. Now, while this is technically true, it doesn't really tell the rest of the story. And here's something he's written. Congress should establish that the president can be indicted only after he leaves office voluntarily or is impeached by the House of Representatives and convicted and removed by the Senate. So basically what he's saying here is he wants to ensure that criminal prosecution is not used as a political weapon. And remember, this is a guy who worked on the star investigation of Clinton and stated, Looking back to the late 1990s, for example, the nation certainly would have been better off if President Clinton could have focused on Osama bin Laden without being distracted by the Paula Jones sexual harassment case and its criminal investigation offshoots. So we're, we're not talking about presidential immunity that you keep hearing about. We're talking about deferred prosecution. And he really, what he wants is Congress to take care of this. He doesn't want the courts to take care of this. He right. wants Congress he, he, to write legislation. Right. And then if a criminal investigation needs to ensue, it should. He's not saying there shouldn't be a criminal investigation. He just doesn't believe it should happen while they are in the office of president. Well, I think that he thinks he believes that the criminal investigation should be limited to Congress doing the investigation. Right. And right. if there is a finding, then you impeach the president. Right. And then, and then you can go with the criminal, the outside right. DOJ criminal prosecutions. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, he's not really wrong there. As partisan as right. we're getting. Right. You can see that. I mean, I, I truly believe that in the Clinton case, there was a lot of partisan politics there that went right. into. Because remember, that started with the Whitewater thing right and that's what he is seeking to avoid right i mean he learned from that situation and that's what that's what went into his opinion regarding this yeah he was and so i think he was yeah. as i said he was on this guy's like forrest gump he's involved in everything <laughs> yeah 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 well the next claim is that he worked on bush's legal team during the 2000 florida recount um I'm not exactly sure why this is considered like a big ominous thing because, I mean, he just worked on the legal team. It Now, it would be ominous if his name was Chad. Yeah. Because oh, God. The double Chad. Okay. So he worked in the Bush administration. It's not really a negative claim here to unpack. He was a well-regarded lawyer with a lot of experience. Kind of seems like a natural occurrence. To pretend that any judge had no political leanings, is really unrealistic. 
So this this claim on its on its own is just a non sequitur regarding his qualifications for office. There's really no evidence that he did anything questionable by representing his client. Well, and that's that's what I was getting at before, to think that these judges are coming in without some kind of political background and political um, Right, but that doesn't mean is, that that's going to that they can't step aside from that to make no but decisions but what they're saying in that fourth point is oh he worked for bush so he's going to be this partisan hack he can't be objective he can't be and and that's what i was saying before no judge steps out of a vacuum and comes into the supreme court right right that's true i just believe that you know if you look at their body of decisions and if they're obviously and if you look again have a lack of party partisanship <laughs> that's objectification right there I know. ruth is my All girl right. though now there are okay. some kind of there are some causes for concern and one is his wait 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 how do we feel about the meme in and of itself oh how do we feel about the meme karen mm-hmm. huh. taking all the facts into consideration here how do we find this meme? Dun, dun, dun. Mostly false. There you go. Yeah. Okay. But there is a cause for concern with right. him. And one is his deference to executive power. Now, his record on judicial deference to the executive on national security issues is not very reassuring. He's extended broad deference in several cases dealing with the rights of Guantanamo detainees. In that respect, he is very, very different than Kennedy, who was much more willing to enforce legal limits on executive national security policy. Also, Kavanaugh's decisions incline toward the unitary executive view of presidential power, which holds that Congress cannot set up federal agencies that are not under the direction and control of the president. Okay, so here is my question with that particular aspect. Do you feel like that is a problem because of the current administration or a problem in general? Because I think it's very, very possible that this goes back to the Kenneth Starr investigation and that he felt there was some injustice involved there. Mm -hmm. And does not want to see that happen again. So I'm not so sure that that the ideology behind his feeling there is, is I think it could be less about getting rid of watchdog or, or accountability policy and more about being fair. I think that there are certain groups that should be outside the president's purview. Um, right. And especially if you have a watchdog. This doesn't say that he feels that way. Mm-hmm. Well, he he has kind of ruled that. I mean, he's kind of ruled that. Well, the, these were in his footnotes, right? So that's that's different. That kind of gives to his state of mind, and I just think it's it's something to consider. I think instead of people being completely afraid of what that means, that he would just defer to Trump in all things, that's not necessarily what that means. It means that he could be drawing from an experience where he saw truly unfair practices and wants to mitigate that from happening could be wrong but it's something to consider well but it's something that you definitely know about him that he does have a a very strong unitary executive viewpoint right there's indication that kavanaugh could go either way 
Whether or not he is a wolf in sheep's clothing is yet to be determined. What's clear is that his decisions are much more ambiguous than enthusiastic players in political theory would have you believe. Now, on the flip side, those who avidly claim there's nothing to see here are being a little bit disingenuous as well. The question is, are the concerns worth the cost? Partisan politics and their hot-button issues are quickly distracting people from learning about the legal philosophies that ultimately protect or reshape our democracy. And that is all we have to say about that. That's the first time you've ever got to say that, Karen. I know. You finally got the last word. Oh, I always get the last word. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we would like to thank everyone who takes the time to listen to us. Um, As usual, you can find us on Podbean, Stitcher, and iTunes. We would really appreciate you taking the time to drop us a positive review. We have a very active Facebook group. If you'd like to join, you can find us on Facebook at Rants and Reason Podcast Facebook group. We want to thank our moderators. They do a lot of work there. So thank you very much. They do. You can always follow us on Twitter at Rants Reason. And if you would like to support the show, we do have a Patreon page. We really, really appreciate it. You can find us on Patreon as Rants and Reason. And thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.